Today I continue our fall sermon series called Rockstar, the David Saga. Today we look at a story which might be one of the most beloved and repeated in Christendom. We tell it to our Sunday school children along with Noah's Ark and the birth of Jesus. This is probably one of the most heard stories in the Bible. 1 Samuel 17, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the Valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and the Israelites on the other with a valley between and there came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze and he was armored with a coat of mail that weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And he stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out drawn for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. David, a shepherd boy from Bethlehem, convinced King Saul to let him, the boy, be Israel's proxy. And he took a staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the creek and put them in his shepherd's bag. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David with the names of his gods. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. Our lesson from the Hebrew Psalter is Psalm 8. The Bible tells us that this is one of the songs of David. We will sing it together from our hymnals, number 162. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So during the days of the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David, the Hebrews' perpetual antagonist were a people called the Philistines. They were a seafaring folk who hunkered down on the southwestern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, southwest of David's hometown of Bethlehem and his eventual capital city of Jerusalem. The name of the geography we're talking about, Palestine, is actually named for the Philistines. In ancient Hebrew, Philistine is Palestine which sounds like Palestine. Now, ancient armies would conduct battle by proxy. Instead of thousands of soldiers killing each other, the respective commanders-in-chief would choose their fiercest warrior to confront his opponent one-on-one. And the commanders-in-chief agreed beforehand that the army of the victor would take the spoils. Instead of hundreds or thousands dead, just one dead soldier battle over. Now, the Philistines' proxy is Goliath. Goliath stands six feet, nine inches tall, which is a respectable height for an NBA forward. Jabari Parker of the Bulls is six feet eight. It's about 18 inches taller than the average Philistine or Hebrew a thousand years before Jesus. 
Goliath wears 150 pounds of armor. The shaft of his spear is the size of a weaver's beam. So picture one of the beams that holds up our ceiling. The spearhead alone weighs 37 pounds. And Goliath emerges from the Philistine ranks and shouts across the valley at the Israelite shoulders, daring them to send their very best, but no Hebrew will accept the challenge. This goes on for 40 days, for 40 days in a row. There is a wealthy shepherd in Bethlehem whose name is Jesse, and Jesse has eight sons. Three of Jesse's sons serve in Saul's army. So Jesse sends his youngest son, David, to go to the front line to bring provisions to his soldier brothers. In this story, David is supposed to be nothing more than the Domino's delivery boy. And when David gets to the front and hears Goliath taunting his countrymen, he just can't stand it. And he volunteers to be Israel's proxy. Now, don't let this be lost on you. If David is an average Hebrew, he stands five foot three inches tall and weighs about 130 pounds. The Hebrew historian means for us to understand that David is too young to join the army. He can't join, he can't volunteer, he can't be conscripted. He's less than 18. He's a teenager. Now, King Saul is skeptical, but no one has volunteered for 40 days, so Saul goes ahead and loans David his armor. And David tries it on, staggers a few steps, trial steps, before he lets it clatter to the ground. And he goes into battle with nothing but the menial tools of his own trade of shepherding. David knows he can't prevail using Saul's battle methods. Can you see the diminutive shepherd boy peeking out under the visor of a helmet that's three sizes too big for him? David knows how he is going to prevail in this battle. And so he goes in with nothing but his camel skin loincloth, his shepherd boy sandals, a shepherd's staff, and a slingshot. And on the way to confront Goliath, he stoops down and picks up five famously smooth stones from the creek in the valley's bottom, but he only needs one and dispatches the giant with a single shot. Now, Soldiers have been fighting with slingshots for centuries. This is projectile weaponry, right? This is one of history's early guns. The stones are his bullets. The beauty and the terror of guns is that it, they allow you to kill from a distance. And that's actually been the progression of warfare in human history. We keep learning how to kill each other from further and further away, like drones in Afghanistan controlled by soldiers in Arizona. But David knows he can't engage Goliath on Goliath's terms. He has to stay at least an arm's length away, and he prevails. Now, this story is just irresistible, right? We human beings love stories about unranked underdogs who defy the Vegas odds and defeat far superior foes. We love the miracle on ice from the 1980 Olympics or the 69 Mets or Appalachian State defeating mighty Michigan, unless you're a Wolverine, or when an injured and disgraced Tiger Woods comes back at the age of 42 after a five-year drought to win his 80th PGA tournament, or George Washington crossing the Delaware with his ill-equipped barefoot militiamen confronting an empire on which the sun never sets. That's sports and history. We also make up stories that look just like that. We, we love the tiny peacekeeping pike 
pipe-smoking Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee watch them defeat Sauron and Mordor and the evil orcs, or when Luke Skywalker explodes the Empire's Death Star with his lonely little X-Wing fighter, or when bespectacled Harry Potter takes down Serpentine Voldemort with his apparently harmless little wand, or do you watch Stranger Things, Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven defeating the bullies at school in Stranger Things? We keep telling the story over and over again. Even the Die Hard and Equalizer movies are variations on the David and Goliath theme. Someone pointed out that the David saga was not written so much for the purposes of theology or history, but for entertainment. It's just fun. This is like uh, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, right? This is how ancient peoples entertained themselves before there were movies or television. It was entertainment. It was just fun to tell these stories. But this is also sacred scripture for us this morning. So how is this God's word for you today? How is God speaking to you through this ancient beloved story? Let me tell you what I heard God saying to me and see if it works for you. I heard God saying to me that it's very important that we all know what makes us a force to be reckoned with, right? So David tries on Saul's armor, but that's not going to work. He's too small. He's never fought in battle before, so he makes it his own way. He just uses the menial tools of his craft, a slingshot, some stones, a staff. Oh, and one more thing. David takes God with him. Now, so the story of David and Goliath is one of the most complex in all of the Hebrew Bible. It's a masterpiece of narrative craft. It is 1,600 words long, or about as long as this sermon. So I couldn't tell you the whole story. I had to abbreviate it here this morning. But when you go home and read the whole thing on your own this afternoon, as I know you will, you will notice that David is the only one in this story who realizes that God is one of the dramatis personae. God is part of this story. King Saul and his soldiers have forgotten about God. And so David marches into battle sneering at his towering antagonist. He says, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin and armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and this day the Lord of hosts will give, him in, give you into my hand. David knows that with five smooth stones in his pocket and the na name of God on his lips, he will be able to slay dragons. In Biology 101 at university, I learned about something called gigantism. You know what a gigantism is? Gigantism is a pathology in which an organism, a plant or an animal or a human being, grows so big it's sick. It's a pathology. It can happen to plants or animals. And in human beings, it often results from a malfunction of the pituitary gland. And gigantism happens in institutions as well. At the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was one of the most ripped superpowers the world had ever seen. But not long after Jesus, it started to expand and exaggerate and swell and thin out and metastasize across the earth like a cancer. And over several centuries, it sickened and enfeebled until there was nothing left at the end but a defenseless village for the barbarians to plunder. 
A few years ago, the football program at Penn State grew so big it got sick. Now, Penn State is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful institution, but it's not because of football. That's just window dressing. And the people in charge forgot that what makes Penn State valuable and precious are the children of State College and the students of the university, not the football coaches. Maybe the Roman Catholic Church has gotten so big, it's sick. I love the Roman Catholic Church. It is the mother of all churches. It is the mother of us all. But it's not great and precious because of its priests and bishops. It's great and precious because of its children. And they forgot about this. For centuries, we've forgotten about this. Fifteen years ago, not long after 9-11, when America was intent on revenge, Newsweek published a covered article cover article entitled why america scares the world and the answer to that question is that it is simply too big farid zakaria quotes the foreign minister of mexico at the time we have studied in the united states and we have worked there we like and understand america but we find it extremely irritating to be treated with utter contempt and so America needs to know what makes America great. It's not our formidable Pentagon. I'm grateful for our strong defense. Can you say that from a Christian pulpit? I just did. I'm grateful for our strong defense, but that's not what makes America great. What makes America great is its constitution and its ideas, the culture. We export across the globe the movies, the literature, the drama. The journalism, the culture of freedom and innovation that breeds things like Amazon, Apple, Google, and Microsoft. All those happened here because of our culture of freedom and innovation and openness, our optimism, our hope for the future. We are always forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead like St. Paul himself. And so institutions and individuals have to know what makes them a force to be reckoned with. David is not great because he's big and muscular. David's great because he's sly and slippery. That's why this nation is great. It's more sly and slippery than large and strong. One of the stories Malcolm Gladwell tells in his very, very fine little take on the David and Goliath story is about the little town of Le Chambon-sur-Lignon in south-central France, not far from Lyon. In 1940, the Germans set up a shadow French government in the city of Vichy. Marshal Philippe Pétain, the dictator of this shadow government, ordered that every morning every French school ch child would give the Nazi salute to the French flag, arm outstretched, palm down. And so the people of La Chambon just took down all the flags. Patriotic French children, they said, should not give an obscene salute to the French flag. Marshal Patin then ordered, on the first anniversary of the Vichy regime, August 1, 1941, the first anniversary, that the bells in every church be rung at noon on that day. Amelie, the custodian at the Protestant church in La Chambon, refused to ring the bell. The bell, she says, does not belong to the marshal, but to God. 
It rings for God or it does not ring. Yes, five smooth stones in her pocket and the name of God on her lips. Pretty soon, Jews from all over France began to trickle into La Chambon. A Protestant from town would arrive at the train station and get off the train with 10 or 12 Jews, and she would start marching through the streets of the village and knocking on doors till she found shelter and hiding place for all those Jews. Friendly police officers would warn the residents of impending Nazi raids, and the Jews would be moved to safe places. The schoolchildren of La Chambon, the schoolchildren wrote the Germans a note. We feel obliged to tell you that there are among us a certain number of Jews, but we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to the Gospels. We have some Jews. You are not going to get them. These are the schoolchildren. And I love this. People began referring to the region around Le Chambon sur Lignon as the plateau of hospitality. And that's the name I want us to strive for too. The plateau of hospitality. Mr. Gladwell writes, you see the giant and the shepherd in the valley of Elah and your eye is drawn to the man with the sword and the shield and the glittering armor. But so much of what is beautiful and valuable in our world comes from the shepherd who has more strength and purpose than we will ever imagine. With five smooth stones in his pocket and the name of God on his lips, David can slay dragons in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.